always trust the process. Welcome to Trust the Process, a podcast produced by the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship. My name is Chris Burns, and I'm the host around here. Today's guests are Bill Ouellette. Well, hello, my name is Bill Ouellette. I'm the Ethernet Inventors Professor of the Practice at the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship. And Ethan Mollick. Sure, I'm a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, so there's a lot of syllables. This episode focuses on the implications of artificial intelligence for entrepreneurs and the field of entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm an entrepreneurship professor. And uh, but I'm also become the AI guy for applications of AI in business uh, and entrepreneurship. That's an understatement. Your your name is all over the place. But tell us about where you started. Where where was Ethan Malik born? How did you grow up? How did you you know? We want to hear the life journey before we jump into the AI stuff. So you will not get it from my voice, but I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a great place on a great lake. Uh, and then I came out to Cambridge for undergrad at Harvard, launched a startup company afterwards with college roommates, um, and then came back to learn how to do this right at MIT. So I got my MBA and PhD here and have since then been uh, uh, entrepreneuring. I went to Wharton afterwards, but always glad to come back to campus. So you started a company was started by three Harvard students. Uh, two Harvard students. We had an additional student also there, but no MIT people, but we're oh. still very successful. So. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. So, um, and you end up here, then you, you go out and you, um, what did you do between Harvard and, and your starting school here at MIT? So that was that was my startup company. So okay. I was uh, we we invented the paywall, That's which I right. still feel kind of guilty about. Um, so I'm hoping to pay that off with good works <laughs> in my life. And then you come to MIT and. And so I started off my MBA program and I came here, this was before the Trust Center was started, so don't think anything bad about it, but I came here thinking I made all these mistakes running my company, I'm going to figure out how to do it right. And then I realized nobody knew what was going on and I decided I'm going to get a PhD and try and figure it out myself. So I went and got a PhD here, went through the process of, uh, of becoming an entrepreneurship professor and that's what I've been doing ever since. So now I advise a lot of companies, talk to a lot of companies. Uh, I wrote a book on entrepreneurship uh, and have just been thinking about how do we especially teach entrepreneurship at scale. That's been my real passion. Isn't it three books, Ethan? I have three books, but they're all on different subjects. I wrote one while I was here on games. Uh, and then oh, I wrote, yeah. So I've got like all the one, my next one's on AI, April 2nd, not available for pre-order yet, but be ready. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, this is three books now, but only one is on entrepreneurship. And you studied under the great Eric von Hippel as well as Ezra Zuckerman. Correct? Exactly. Yes. So the, some of the real uh, greats of innovation and uh, and sociology. Yeah. So we're here today to talk about AI and uh, AI specifically in entrepreneurship. And we just had a talk in the other room, and I wish everybody could have heard it. But let's just kind of hit on some of the high points of that. Um, how profound do you think the impact on entrepreneurship as a practice, as a discipline? How profound an impact do you think AI will have? I think incredibly profound. I think for three reasons. One is I think we have a perfect AI co-founder. I mean, it's not perfect yet, but it it fills a lot of the roles and gaps, right? A third of Americans have a business idea that they haven't acted on. 
because they don't know what to do next. The AI can tell you what to do next, help you write the emails, help you build the product. So as a use, it's certainly there. And then the second thing is, I think that we're in a moment of transformation um, where this is a tool that can do many things around the world um, and many things in, in almost any industry. It's a GPT, ironically, is for general purpose technology, which are these rare technologies that come around once in a generation. Think the internet and, and uh, computers before that, which took like 50 years to play out. Steam, electricity, that'll touch everything that we do. And then the third way is like, look, the world is changing. Entrepreneurship is going to be affected also. I think a lot of companies are going to find themselves obsolete. I think a lot of how we approach entrepreneurship is going to have to change. And I think that that is the sort of also a big deal. You know, the, the world is moving faster and faster. And that means that change is happening more and more. And the people who can deal with change are entrepreneurs. That's what they're built for. Management systems over, you know, same inputs, optimize the system, de-risk it. But you can't, they're not going to have the same inputs to it. So we're going to need more entrepreneurs, better entrepreneurs, and, and frankly, I believe more connected entrepreneurs. Can, so can you talk a little bit about the what, what you mentioned earlier about the Uganda study, how important entrepreneurship is you know, to individuals, not just society, but what are the benefits of entrepreneurship? So, I mean... Entrepreneurship is the main mechanism for people to build wealth. It's the main mechanism for for innovation, technical change. It's where new organizations come from. Organizations, large companies historically lose people over time. Almost all of employment comes from new organizations. I mean, you can't overstate the example and the importance, right? And not just that, learning entrepreneurship matters. I think that there's sort of this view that it's just something that you do. And I love that you push that here at your center to do, but like you push it with mentoring and learning. And I think people tend to think entrepreneurship is just something you are, but it's also something you can learn. And that Uganda study we're talking about showed that just giving people randomly selected sets of people who applied for the program, three weeks of MBA level entrepreneurship training was enough to I think I just looked at the numbers, so I might be slightly off. Increase three years later, their income was up 26%, and the chance of them running a startup was up 31%, uh, startup survival. So like little bits of education make a difference. And I think that's one of the most important things we can do is teach people these skills of being an entrepreneur. Not everything can be taught, but a lot more than most people think. That's amazing. Three weeks of education increased their, their income by 26%, um, and 31% had started companies. And I would say probably 100% were more confident after that. We don't have that number. We don't, making, we don't have that number. And, that number. and I might so. be wrong on the numbers. I did glance at it right beforehand. So I will, I'll put it on my Twitter feed so people can take a look. So. But I'm also going to say 100% of them had higher self-confidence. And that could be the hallucination because you never know what's not true. But I, I'd stand behind it. Every student I see after they've taken an entrepreneurship class feels like they have more control over things than... But, you know, I'm, I'm going to go work for somebody else. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a really big deal is just bringing the locus of control, as we call in the social sciences, like to yourself, that that tends to be a big deal. It also might be that some people learn they don't want to do it, and that's okay too, right? But yeah. qualifying, disqualifying, but just the idea of, of the, there are things to learn, right? We've also found like of, of specific skills, when you teach people how to do um, discovery-driven approaches of product market fit, there was a really cool study with hypothesis testing in Italy that found twice as high revenue for companies that went through that. There was a really cool study in Tonga done by some people at HBS showing that if you taught people how to network, they did better afterwards. Yeah. So like we have evidence after evidence that like the skills that you teach in entrepreneurship really do matter. Um, I want to go back to you know something you mentioned, perfect co-founder is here. 
Um, how much equity do you have to give up to ChatGPT to get this perfect co-founder? Don't ask it. It'll probably it'll probably start, it's, <laughs> this is we're in a nice window where the AI has not become sentient and is no longer asking is not asking for equity. But give it a year and it's going to start pretty soon. So what types of ways would 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 you know now that it's free they don't take any equity? You say it's a perfect co-founder. What types of things specifically would you would you benefit from by using ChatGPT? Sure. So let's just start with the idea that, you know, I'm being a little facetious with perfect, right? A, a good human still outperforms the AI. There's no room for, for facetiousness here. I apologize. I take, back, I take back the facetiousness. I can't even keep saying that. Um, <laughs> but what I would say is, is entrepreneurs have gaps, right? As much, you're expected to know everything and do everything. Yeah. And that's really hard. Like it... Writing emails is hard. Answering phone calls is hard. Right? Coming up with a product demo is hard. like so. What it does is it does all of that really well. So if you're not good at writing emails, it will help you write a customer email. If you're not good at you know at doing coding, it will help you code better. Is it whatever your core at? It lets you focus more on what your skill, your top skill is, and it kind of handles everything else. And then on top of that, it does transform some of the ways we approach entrepreneurship in more fundamental ways as well. I want to go back to that because you, you just did a demonstration in our talk back here about how you could write an email. Is there some place online where you have like a YouTube video or some place where someone could go see? Because to watch you do that, it's it's amazing. We we do have a few YouTube demos of some of this kind of stuff. So if you look at look at my name, you'll you'll find them. Um, but I also post about this stuff. But like really, I feel people need to experiment. People right. don't experiment enough. And like one of the cool things about being an entrepreneur is. You know, it's actually a lesson I learned from uh, Eric von Hippel. So Eric von Hippel, who's my advisor we said earlier when I was at MIT, is famous for for finding that most innovation happens from people who have a trouble, that they try and solve their own issues. And he pointed out that R&D is very expensive for a centralized organization, but it's very cheap if you're doing something the same all the time, right? So we're teaching classes all the time. Changing the way we teach a class is pretty cheap because we're experimenting in every class and we know really quickly it's working or not. In the same way as an entrepreneur, you get to experiment really quickly. Have it write a letter. The letter's not good, probably make it better. Does it not good enough still? Don't use it for letters anymore. Like that kind of cheap experimentation is the key. Yeah. I would I would completely agree that you're not going to learn it unless you do it. I mean, entre- we always say entrepreneurship is a craft. You can't just, it's not a problem set that you learn how to do it mm-hmm. once and you know how to do it. You have to do, keep doing it. But I still think it's very inspirational and you're underestimating how inspirational it is to see you do it. And it's like, wow, you really can do that. So I want to make sure uh, that we put up links to to some of those YouTube videos because those will be, those will be very inspirational for people. Um the second thing you said about transformational generational technology transformation here and i and I, I could not agree more i you know we talked about before the whole uh, blockchain and crypto thing i think it's a, it's a change but i think this is absolutely pervasive this is like you know i'm i'm old enough i was there when the personal computer came out and that changed everything and the internet and I, I believe AI is on this level. Would you would you agree with that? I, I think it's at least at this level. I mean, and I'm not trying to be overselling it. Like I sat out through crypto. I've I've not been a technology <laughs> hype. I like technology, but I've not been a technology hype person. But I really do think that this, like, there is something fundamentally different about having a, another general purpose. And I'm making air quotes with my hands. Intelligence out there that could do things for you. I think that that is a really does change things in a very fundamental way and also much faster, right? You're talking about crypto. Crypto is five years out, even at the height of the boom, right? It was like five years from now, we'll be using Web3 
and we'll be, this is now every tool that I'm like every tool I'm talking about is available for free to everybody in 169 countries. Billions of people have access to the most advanced AI on the planet. Like it doesn't matter whether you are in Uganda, as we said earlier, right? Everybody in Uganda has access to ChatGPT4 via Bing for free. I talked with Microsoft; they're saying they're doing that. That's the exact same model that you'd have access to at Goldman Sachs or McKinsey or Nike or any. There's no yeah. better system out there. That's pretty extraordinary. And I think these things are just layering on top of each other. First, you have the micro, the, the computer, the microchip. Then you have them connected. You have Moore's law, and that continues to go up. Then you layer on top Metcalf's law, where you're networking these things together. And now we're layering on top of that generative AI and all the data that's collected. It's it's just mind blowing. What what do you think is the most profound um, thing that's going to change in, in entrepreneurship? Is it going to be product market fit? Is it going to be go to market? Is it going to be how you do primary market research? You- so, I mean, look, I, I've been doing little experiments where like, how much company can I launch in 15 minutes? It turns like a lot of company, right? <laughs> like I can have it research a bunch of ideas, to, uh, winnow down the ideas and create a chart of which ideas are best, generate names. For, I mean, we've done this. Generate names for the idea, then generate prototypes and logos, create a website for the idea that's working, right? And in gener- 15 minutes. Yeah, generate fake customers to to give feedback on the website. And I can be done with that. Like, I think that there is a fundamental rethinking of process that, you know, we, we have, there's about a bunch of big, big breakthroughs in the practice of entrepreneurship with the idea of doing experimental entrepreneurship, whether that was discovery during planning the Steve Blank stuff, but like going out there and doing and testing stuff. Right. This is going to be at least as big a methodology change and much more, yes, right? Yes, like yes. a fundamental change in how we approach entrepreneurship from the ground up. Do you see it as like, you know, I remember when we used to start companies, it was, you know, e-commerce took you millions of dollars and, uh, you know, a year and a half, two years and Shopify now you can do that in, you know, an hour. Um, do you see that for entrepreneurship? Do you see this kind of taking those long time frames to start a company and just compressing it down to, as you said, 15 minutes might be an extreme, but w- what do you see? Yeah, I, I see that compression. And then on top of that, like this thing performs at better than average human level on most tasks we give it, 50 to 80th percentile. So like now you've got something also like, let's say you didn't have access to local talent. You now have access to a pretty talented person. Is it going to be the, as good as the best person you can get out of MIT? No. I mean, right. at least not now. We have no idea where it's going to go in the long term. But like, right. is it going to be pretty good compared to everything else? Absolutely. And I think there's also going to be just a lot more global competition. Now everyone in, all, in every country speaks English perfectly, can code. Like, right. what does that mean for entrepreneurship? Talent is all over the place, right? It's not just concentrated here. Opportunity hasn't been. Now it is. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of this is moving towards the um, product market fit and getting products out. It's more the go-to-market strategy. Can 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 ChatGPT help with go-to-market? So I did do another experiment. This was literally a 30-minute experiment. I started a timer. And I was like, how far could I get with a product launch in 30 minutes? Okay, so here's what I did. First, I said- yeah, That's I, very interesting. Yeah. You doubled the time for product la- launch oh, as no, opposed to- I did this back in February with the primitive system. So I've halved <laughs> it since then is what's going on. So a 30-minute timer, okay? And most of this time was waiting for the AI to spit stuff out. So I asked it, okay, first create a product launch plan. It did that. Then I might create the, set, the email campaign. It created a four-email campaign. Would have sent it through Zapier. I didn't have to do that. But it's created the email marketing campaign. I had to look up the product we were launching too, so it had all that information. Um, you know, it created three. You know, all these emails that we've sent in sequence to generate demand to give a case study. Really cool. Then I'm like, create the website, uh, a website proposal. Create a website proposal. Great. 
execute the website. Give me a zip file with JavaScript, CSS, and HTML for a basic website. Give me the images, all of that, like 22 minutes in. Create, create a full social campaign. I want to also video people talk, all of that done. So 30 minutes, we had 9,200 words of text, um, emails, of website, um, you know, a voice file, uh, a script. Um, I, I had took 20 commands and we fired our marketing firm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're 22 minutes in. You're, you're measuring by minutes. And remember, when, when, when I used to run companies, when we start companies, we'd measure it in weeks and months. Absolutely. And here it is in minutes now. When, when you think about the, the idea of like, is it better to have a stand-up meeting or just do the work? Is yeah. it really interesting? Like, have a stand-up meeting and introduce the work or should I just do it all? Is it really interesting? And the thing is that a lot of the stuff in entrepreneurship that takes a lot of time, that's really grinds, that isn't that much fun for people are those kind of things like, I have to rewrite my, my description of my company for the 15th time to apply for this or to send it. I need to write a customized email to a customer. I agonized over all of those things. Those were so painful to do. Oh, okay. You know, how do we trim down our customer description? How do we write the documentation? All of this stuff just became much more trivial. And like, I think we, like, and all of that sucks in entrepreneurship. I don't know anyone in entrepreneurship who's like, you know what, I love the documentation part. That, that is where the real excitement is. Or, you know what, I love writing emails to customers that are like, you know, that combine elements with what the, nobody likes that. It's part of, by the way, when you survey people on, on, on uh, who've used generative AI, they're both nervous and happy. Nervous because they see it coming for their job. Happy because they just gave the worst parts of their job to the AI. And the other thing is like those things, when you're doing them, you're an entrepreneur, you get stuck. Um, it seems to me now you have an easy way to get unstuck at any time, any place with chat GPT. Yeah. And I think that that is really important. That st unsticking Entrepreneurship, you get stuck in lots of places and you tend to get stuck at places that aren't necessarily that important, but that take an outsized important. Like, what's our logo for our company has eaten way too many people's time, right? Or like, you know, what's the tagline for, like, nobody really cares that much, but you are going to obsess over it. Now you don't have to, right? And like that unsticking is a really big deal because part of entrepreneurship is just this constant facing of stuff you don't know. And the idea that you've got something that is pretty good at everything is a pretty good starting point. Yeah. And I think you said this about AI as well. And there's a great book by Mark Randolph, the co-founder of Netflix. And he said, uh, um, that will never work, where he says, basically, we assume that nobody knows anything at Netflix. All you can do is come up with intelligent hypotheses and then test them. Well, this helps you come up with intelligent hypotheses. And it also helps you t start to test them, right? And it tells you what they mean. Yeah. So, you know. You know, I was always under the impression with the uh, generative AI that, you know, it, it was about getting proprietary data sets, you know, that companies that had proprietary data sets were the ones that were going to win in generative AI. And uh, you don't buy that. Can, can you just, can you explain that? I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So it's important for us to realize that what we talk about when we talk about AI now is quite different than what we talked about if we talked a year ago. And I don't know when this is coming out, but if it's any time before the end of November, right, a year ago, that was before ChatGPT. And when most people talked about AI, they were talking about using predictive modeling based on supervised learning, right? So you'd have a huge amount of data, you'd feed that to algorithms with the help of a PhD data scientist, and then that would tell you, based on the data, here's where you should locate your next warehouse. Here's what you should recommend to customers. Here's what the pricing trends are going to be or what stock to buy, right? And like that took a lot of data and the models would crunch that data to find underlying trends by doing lots of logistic regressions and other kinds of work. The P, though, in GPT stands for pre-trained. The AI has already learned a whole bunch of stuff. 
And it knows this stuff already. And that stuff includes everything that was published in PubMed, everything on Wikipedia, and that's all been thrown into its knowledge base. So the idea that you need specialized knowledge often turns out to be kind of wrong. And even if you have that specialized knowledge, what are you doing with it? Because generative AI isn't like these other kinds of models where it's taking a lot of data to make a prediction. It's still predicting, but it's predicting words. So what's the value of having all of those words? It's not finding a magical trend for you. Instead, it's, it's language might be getting more like your language, or it might be, you know, insights might be more like your insights. That's not as valuable as it, as it once was. And I think it's important to say here, that's really eye-opening for me, and, you know, because I have a tough proprietary data set. But as you say, we don't know. No, we don't know. I, we, I could, we don't know. We I could to, be wrong. So please yeah. do not shut down your proprietary data set startup. <laughs> but but I would warn you that I'd like you, you should consider the alternative. You should consider a world where what happens if we don't, what does the proprietary data add as opposed to, of course, we need it. If you have an answer to that question, great. But I, I hear a lot of startups who are like, we need proprietary data. Why? Well, because co companies need proprietary data to do AI. Why? Like you need to have an answer to that question that is true in the face of LLMs. Yeah. And I think you said an important thing. We got to timestamp this, Chris. This is October 30th, 2023. So we don't look dumb. Uh, and we, we are we are disclaiming that everything could change by Thanksgiving. It, like, I mean, we, we know OpenAI is having the developer meeting before then. We're waiting for Google to release the first AI that's going to be smarter than everything. But he says it'll be smarter than GPT-4. You're not even joking. Like by November, we're going to have a very different AI world. So go on. I, uh, tell me about what what's out there in the public about Google, because you know we had the head of Google Research, and we said, you know, in hindsight, would you have released it, released the Transformers if you know now what you know then? And uh, he didn't want to answer the question. <laughs> so from research and execution, there's only a couple of companies in the world that can pull this off, and Google is definitely one of them. And all the the idea of Gemini, which is their new LLM, everything I'm hearing again, it's all rumor. But everything I've heard from people who've touched it, talked about it, seen it, is that it's better than GPT-4. Not like an order of magnitude, but maybe two or three or four times better, which would be pretty significant. The real issue with Google is they are an advertising company. They make hundreds of billions of dollars in advertising. Yeah. LLMs are not friendly with advertising. They don't do a good job with it. They don't integrate information truthfully. You know, they answer the question completely rather than sending you to a website. And I think there's a mismatch between Google's formidable power as a AI creation giant and their formidable power as a marketing company and that those two are not meeting very well right now. That's a really interesting business point because even if they have the technology, it has to align with their business interests. But but this could completely cannibalize or, or, or significantly cannibalize their search business because I find myself now going to chat GPT and now you, you've told me it's opened up to current. I don't have to, it won't stop me anymore and say, we only know till 2021. Yep, well, why, why would I go, why would I go do search when I could do chat GPT? I, I think we're going to see a lot of behavior change, right? So now Google has to get on board with that, but then how are they going to, you know, it, it always interested me. I, I thought that if you were, it's sort of a, a strategy lesson, right? You would have thought that as soon as they knew Transformers were coming, they would do a similar crash research project on integrating advertising into Transformer created content. They didn't do that, right? And so now there's a catch-up game. And so do they, and it's clear that Microsoft is being very gleeful about their ability to, you know, to, <laughs> to do AI releases. So Google move to, is moving, right? They're, they're dancing faster than I thought, but it, we don't know what that means. Why is Google so, you know, like you have Facebook and you have Microsoft and dare I even say IBM, you have all these other companies. Why is Google at the forefront of AI? 
I mean, they, they had all the best people. And I mean, so Google has thrown out so much money from its advertising business that it's plowed into all kinds of other businesses that have mostly been kind of mediocre failures, right? Yeah, right. All of their X projects. And they've put a lot into R&D. It turned out, I, I mean, first of all, they've been leaders in AI for a while, but I don't think anyone thought outside of a few people in the industry, how transformers and large language models would be the technology that yeah, would make yeah. things hit. So like they had most of the researchers between, you know, between, uh, you know, DeepMind and Google Brain. They really knew everybody who was, who, you know, they had all the, the key people. Now, of the people in the original transformers paper, all of them have since left Google to launch yeah. startup companies or do other work. Isn't it interesting when you, when you go back in the history of technology, usually these things start up someplace like MIT. And this is not something that, I mean, AI started at MIT, but then they, they, they weren't into large language models. And this really shockingly started in industry. Is research levels of industry outpacing what's happening in academic institutions? In, in AI, 100%. We've been watching that for a while just because the salaries that industry offers for AI is so high that they've completely cannibalized the computer science departments. But but it isn't that unusual to see, like, you know, Silicon Valley's entire story is about the similar kind of betrayal, right? An academic idea that came from Bell Labs of the of the, of the transistor yeah. that was that then, you know, was it a company and then the company blew apart and yeah. the Treacherous 8 started yeah. Intel and Kleiner Perkins and every other... So it's not surprising to see, a, like, this is a very common story where you go to a large company, you're frustrated there because yeah. you keep saying, like, we need to release this product. No one releases it. And then eventually you just launch your own company to release your own. Yeah. The, the, um, so from a personal standpoint, you know, what does that mean for you? I mean, I'm sure companies are dying to have you and maybe you can just say no comment or you can just redirect this, but. How do you how do you straddle that kind of being the academic and being you know the objective outsider? By the way, this what we're talking about here, Google. Nobody's sponsoring this. No. We're talking as uh, unconflicted yes. people here. Well, and I, I actually talked to all the AI companies. I'm under NDAs with some of them, and like, but I don't take a dime from any of them for exactly this. I th so here's the thing: there's clearly a lot of money out there, but I also think it's extremely important to be talking about this stuff publicly and to be sharing use yeah. cases. And I think that I'm really enjoying the fact that as an academic, right, like I'm probably leaving money on the table, but I'm an academic. We've all been leaving the money on the table for a long time, right? right. Like, I, I think it's really important to have, this is where academia is actually extremely helpful right now. Like, I, I've been, you've been showing me some of the stuff you guys are doing with generative AI. I think we have to be the examples about how this is useful in the world. So it's not all just the large AI companies making stuff and influencers and hucksters selling, you know, selling fake courses online. So to yeah. me, it's incredibly important to demonstrate how this is useful and, you know, talk about these things. Yeah. I, I, I thank you for doing this. I think it's very important. And I also think it's very important that people in academia who have had actual jobs in startups are doing this. And we need more people with dual passports like you. I mean, it has to be done, right? Like there, there's something, I mean, the, the ultimate power of entrepreneurship is it's about taking action amidst uncertainty, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's why it's valuable no matter what happens in the world, learning to take action amidst uncertainty is, is the skill you need. The only entrepreneurship is coming out with an intelligent hypothesis and then running the experiment in this lab that is impossible to control. It's yes. called the real world. <laughs> I love it. And and there's just, and you know, and there is, there's a joy in that kind of thing. And there's a feeling of agency you don't get anywhere else, right? Yeah. And even if you don't become an entrepreneur in the long term, there's something about having control over your own destiny that's hard to go back. From. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you for what you're doing. Let's, let's, um, I just want to go through the, the, the example, like here at uh, the Trust Center, we're, bu we're building a 
what we call it, chat MTC, you know, to help our students. We're taking all our data about what we know about entrepreneurship, our knowledge base, our FAQ, and putting it up. And uh, we showed it to Ethan, and uh, it gives good answers. And we were really proud of it. And uh, then Ethan looked at it, and uh, can you repeat what you said, Ethan? Because I thought it was fabulous feedback to our team. I said it wasn't weird enough. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is LLMs are essentially weird. Like, they're, they are strange, right? They're, they act like people. They're not people. They seem to be real, but they're, you know, they're not real. Like, but we should embrace the strangeness. Like, embrace it as a person, and you get really good results. And so, like... I thought that you did a great job answering questions, but it also could be a critique. It could be a friendly, you know, it could be a, a you know, a friendly beaver from, you know, MIT that always criticizes your work to make it better. It could be the professor that is always encouraging to you. Like, why are you stopping at this mild thing of like, let's answer your question? Forget it. This is an entity. Treat it like one. Yeah. It's kind of like when, when they first came up with movies, they just took they just filmed plays until someone said, hey, wait a second, there's a whole bunch more stuff you can do. And if, if movies were still just filming plays, they would we wouldn't have what we have today. And I think that's your point. I love that analogy. It's exactly, I mean, we're trying to replicate a whole bunch of safe ways of using AI. AI should be like a search engine. It's not a search engine. AI should be like a you know question and answer bot. It's not a question and answer bot. It doesn't, not great at those things. It makes stuff up all the time. Yeah. Like we have to embrace it for what it is, which is, it's kind of like a everyone just got like a free first year PhD intern who wants to make you happy and therefore lies a lot and is kind of <laughs> naive but never admits that they made a mistake. And once you think about it that way, you end up in much better shape. I think they're right probably 80% of the time though. Well, the, <laughs> they the real, got admitted to the program. The, the real question is, are they more right or less right than the other people around you? And that's the big question out there. So as you think about that, the, the next releases, and again, I know you don't have a crystal ball. I was looking at it and, and it just blows my mind that this chat interface, just text coming across the screen. Cause I, you know, I started in the computer industry literally programming punch cards and then it was just text on the screen. It was like, Oh my God, this is mind blowing. And then all of a sudden you had pixels and you had graphics and it was like, Oh, my head's exploding. What could we ever do with graphics? Do you have any sense? Like it's just a text interface now. It's just a chat bot. What 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 do you think Google's going to do next? What do you think? You know, what's the next step function in this? But it already isn't right. People just aren't noticing it. Like for example, it already sees things. Like you upload pictures, and it knows what's going on in context, right? And like you know, we've been having interesting discussions about how much it knows. We don't even know how much it knows, right? You could show it a picture of wedding dress and say, "How do I improve the fit of this?" And it will give you answers, right? So it's already seeing. Wow. It can create images. So it's and we're on the edge of being able to create movies and things like that. If you haven't already tried speech mode in GPT-4, you absolutely should do that in Pi, where it talks to you in a friendly voice, and it honestly feels like you're talking to a person. Like, you know, there is, uh, the interfaces with the world are getting thicker, um, and so I don't, the, the chatbot is a very limited way to think of it right now. It already is a conversation bot with eyes and ears. Um, it just doesn't have a nose yet. How do you see, I, I'm just using it as chatbot. Can you help me? How do I, how do I get from the chatbot to seeing stuff? I don't, I, I don't understand that. So let's give you the free option. Open up Microsoft Bing. And there's literally a little button right next to, turn on to creative mode that's purple or use GPT-4. And there's a little button that has a plus next to it. And you can just literally pick any image on your phone and say, what's this? What's going on with this? Where do you think it is? And it will figure it out for you. So it's not taking over my camera and peering into my life. And not, uh, it will soon, but right now, no. <laughs> oh, my God. What do you think uh, it's going to be the craziest thing we see in the next, by the end of this year? 
What, what, and I know you don't, again, you don't have a perfect crystal ball, but blow 12, our mind. 12 months from now or three months from now? No, no, three months from now. 12 yeah. months is an eternity. Like you said, I, when I first saw this, it was like, the future isn't the future anymore. The future is here right now. This chat, you know. I mean, just Friday, it was, it was sort of announced slash leaked just a couple of days ago um, that, uh, that uh, even over the weekend, I think, actually a couple of days ago, uh, that GPT-4 now include, will include all these features. So you can give it documents. It will read the documents. It includes vision, voice. It includes, it'll be able to write code. Like it basically is a functional tying all of these pieces together. So give it a document to read, ask it to write code based on that, show you a picture based on the material, give you a PDF output of it or analyze the CSV. Like I think people are underestimating how much, what happens when you start to bring all these senses together. The AI starts to actually have some, you know, smarter interactions with the world. Mm -hmm. I get, this goes, what, what, worry, what worries you more? The consolidation that, that that Gen AI seems to be doing, like everyone said, oh, you know, this technology, the internet's going to democratize things. It's been anything but that. We've seen more consolidation and almost more dangerous consolidation with Amazon and 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 Google and Facebook and you know and and Apple. Uh, do you see more consolidation with Gen AI? So I think we have to differentiate between the frontier models, the very cutting edge most advanced models out there, in which case there's really only a few companies competing, OpenAI, Google, and Microsoft, and Anthropic, you know, and various entities associated with them. Then there is these open source models, which are not as powerful yet as the frontier models, right. but are very democratized. So we're going to have a yeah. case where if you want the most advanced technology, that's very consolidated. Yeah. The less advanced technology is very democratized. So, you, so you're not worried about the consolidation? I think it's one of many things to worry about. I mean, the the, the advantage, like there, there's a disadvantage and advantage to both of them. People are very worried about the lack of consolidation issue for security, right? When everybody has access to high-powered models that can create perfect phishing emails or give you advice on how to do terrible things, yeah, you know, it'd be better. Would that be better if that was centralized in a few companies that are under U.S. law? And like, we don't know. Yeah. So I think we're we're gonna have the, both things happening at the same time. What do you think about Biden's plan? You know, right now, have you have you had any chance to look at that? With you know, he's you're going to start seeing some guardrails put on AI, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that I've only glanced at it. I've not read a huge amount of material. It just came out today. I mean, it seems sane enough, right? So part of it's about notification reporting. I think some of it's impossible. I think some of it won't matter when there's other companies launching AI systems that are, you know, in other countries. So I don't know how it's all going to work out. I think that some degree of regulation oversight clearly makes sense. I don't know whether it's enough or too little, you know, too much or too little is hard to tell. Well, I hate to say it, but but we're almost at time. And last our last podcast, we had uh, the founder of Baby Shark sing Baby Shark. Can you do something memorable for us here that's kind of weird, Ethan? Uh, let me think if I can do something here. Um, sure, hold on. Let me see if I can get if I can get OpenAI's uh, to say something for us here. I have it set up on my phone. This is completely improvised. Completely audience. improvised here as I'm trying to throw this together here for you at the last second. We'll see if this works. All right, let's do this. Okay, here we go. I am on a podcast at MIT, and I'd love you to do like a limerick to close off the podcast. It's about entrepreneurship and AI. Of course. Here's a limerick for your podcast at MIT on entrepreneurship and AI. At MIT, where the bright minds collide, entrepreneurs with AI by their side. With ideas so grand, they take a firm stand in a future where tech is the guide. I hope that works for you. Would you like any tweaks or changes?
So we'll end Boom. that way. There we Boom. go. Boom. There right. we go. We're going to drop the mic, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ethan Mollick. And hopefully we'll see you up here again soon. Well, that's it for another episode of Trust the Process. This show is edited and produced by me, Chris Burns. The executive producer is Greg Weimer. We record all of our episodes at the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship. See you next time. 